This is Archive Atlanta, episode 237, Repurpose Schools Residential. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week, I decided to talk about something I love, which is former school buildings turned into lofts or apartments or condos. And this is called adaptive reuse, which the dictionary defines as the process of reusing an existing building for a purpose other than which it was originally designed for. And in the world of historic preservation, adaptive reuse is a win-win. So many houses and buildings can be preserved and then still used efficiently or effectively. I wanted to dive into all of the Atlanta former school buildings that have been adaptively reused into residential units. And so if you can tell, I'm going to break this out because there are former schools in the city that are other things. That's another category. I sat over here thinking, oh, you know, how many residential units could there be? There were so many schools. This episode's a little longer than I wanted it to be, but I really wanted to cover them all. So we are going to go in chronological order from the oldest school building that is now residential to the newest, which even the newest is, you know, about 100 years old. Uh, And I'm really excited to share this topic with you. Let's start with a really quick primer on Atlanta's public school system. So in 1858, the governor of Georgia asked the General Assembly to establish a state common school system, and Atlanta would not, again, debate public education until Reconstruction, which is after the Civil War. The 1868 state of Georgia constitution provided for the establishment of a public school system throughout the state, and in 1869, Atlanta became one of the first cities in Georgia to have their city council pass a resolution for public schools. The first school that we're talking about is going to be the Edgewood Avenue School. Located at today, 729 Edgewood Avenue. Its modern name, I think, is the Inman Schoolhouse Lofts, um, but that's not what it was first called. In March of 1892, the Board of Education approved architecture plans for a new school to serve grades 1 through 8, and it was mainly for the new residents of Inman Park. So if you listen to the Inman Park episodes, part 1 and part 2, I talked about how this is really the outskirts of the city. It was not even Atlanta really before that. Um, And so if you're going to build a neighborhood with children, you're going to need a school. Architect G.L. Norman designed many homes in Inman Park, including the school. Um, But it says that he loved the design of the Edgewood Avenue School so much that he had the plans copyrighted. A novel design idea at the time, each of the eight classrooms had windows on all sides, which provided light and ventilation. When they put the plans out to bid, they received 13 prices. The Board of Education was very upset about this unlucky number, and they insisted on rebidding. They finally awarded the project to contractor J.H. Matthews, uh, and then the school officially opened in September of 1892. One of my favorite stories was that Joel Hurt, who you know owned the streetcar, developed Inman Park, um, gave all the students who lived in Inman Park a special ticket to ride the streetcar at half price. Uh, the rest of Atlanta was not happy about that. They felt that that was very unfair. Hurt ended up kind of downplaying the whole arrangement, and then you know promised, "Hey, once once these tokens run out, I won't be giving any more discounts." By 1897, the school was described as one of the best in town. It educated about 850 students, one of its most famous students being Robert Woodruff, future Coca-Cola scion. They even formed a night school for working girls. And no, I don't mean those kind of working girls. This is the era of child labor. So really, children as young as 10 were working. 
By 1911, um, it was often called the Inman Park School, but it was also dealing with lots of other issues. And we are actually going to see this in um, a couple of schools, and this happened in other schools that are no longer existing. But really, there is construction issues, quality issues. There's some severe overcrowding issues. The entire school system is bursting at the seams. So this school had a hundred extra students than they should have. They were cramming them into the basements. There was like exposés about how these kids are, you know, sitting next to smelly latrines and septic pipes while trying to learn. By 1943, World War II-related staffing and fuel shortages prompted talks of the school closing, and by the following year, those students were relocated to Faith and Grant Park Elementary Schools. While abandoned for a short while in the 1950s, it became the Inman Park School for Boys. By the 1970s, it was Narnia Daycare Center. And then in 1979, it was purchased by Griggs, Van Horn, and Associates. So if you don't know your Inman Park history, uh, Griggs is a big name. Robert Griggs is the person really credited with restoring the neighborhood. Uh, he also owned and restored the Beef Dickey House. And so at some point, he runs his business there. At some point between the late 1980s and the early 1990s, the building is converted to lofts. Next up on our list is the Kirkwood School, um, and that is at 138 Kirkwood Road. Now, I talked about this in the Kirkwood episode, but the neighborhood was developed in 1892 along with East End, which is today Eastlake, and Candler's Park. By December of 1899, Kirkwood decided to incorporate into their own city. This did not technically happen until 1904, but they were ready to grow, and part of that involved having a school building for their own children. The first iteration of the Kirkwood School formally opened in early September of 1906. It was a two-story wood frame, neoclassical um, entrance, like a very traditional rectangular building. Inside were six classrooms, four on the first floor, two on the second, and a large auditorium. And the structure was designed by the architecture firm of Bruce, Everett, and Hayes, uh, and I think Alexander Bruce was really the main designer. From 1904 until 1921, Kirkwood operated as an independently chartered city, complete with a mayor, city council, you know, fire and water systems, and schools, uh, until January 1st of 1922. Kirkwood then becomes the 12th ward of Atlanta, and then the following year, with kind of an influx of money, the school is expanded. This expansion was designed by John Downing. Uh, it was two-story brick. They kind of reclad the entire building in brick to match. They added a one-story auditorium in 1924. And then in 1928, another addition with eight more classrooms and a corridor. And I think these were designed by G. Lloyd Preacher. It would be another 20 years before any additions were made, and this was a cafeteria in 1950 designed by J.W. Kreese or Kreis, uh, and then something, oh, a library in 1964 by Cunningham and Forehand. In 1964, it was still an all-white school, and it was 750 students under capacity. I talked about this a little bit more in detail in the Kirkwood episode, but basically, in order to not integrate schools and yet address overcrowding, they moved 200 black children to a church annex nearby. Everybody was up in arms with the NAACP, I think Hosea Williams. Parents picketed in front of Kirkwood Elementary, demanding their kids be enrolled here. All grades in the APS district were finally integrated in January of 1965, and over one weekend, every single white child of the Kirkwood School, except for seven, were transferred to other schools, mainly Eastlake. All 18 white teachers left with them, and the 500 black children who walked into school on Monday were all by themselves. 
Now they regrouped, they remained a school into the 1980s. But by 1998, developer Henry Finkbeiner um, purchased them, I think turned them into apartments, and then in 2004, they became condominiums. Several new schools were planned and built in 1911-1912, and three of them are residential today. So one of these, the Highland School, which is today at 978 North Avenue, was built in 1911. It was designed by architect Edward Doherty for $40,000, and it included a manual training room, a domestic science room, two what were called wet weather playrooms, uh, and it was home to grades one through eight. Now, not even two years later, this again kind of goes back to the story of the Edgewood Avenue School, but the school is packed. There are rumors floating around of how children are sitting on the floor, allegations of bad fumes or making kids sick. And so all of these stories really forced the city to pass another bond issue. And the plan was to construct four new high schools, eight white grammar schools, and five black grammar schools with this funding. The Highland School was in use until 1972, and it was then used as school district administrative offices through the 1990s. In 2002, Atlanta Public Schools marketed the building for sale, and then by 2003, Streetside developers had condominiums for sale. Home Park Elementary, which is today on State Street in Home Park, uh, was also part of that 1911 crop of schools, replacing the old Ethel Street School that was founded in 1900 for this very small community. Ethel Street had gotten so overcrowded that I think by 1909, the papers are calling it undesirable conditions, and the Home Park School construction starts in early 1911. It's designed in the Italian Renaissance style, also by Edward Dougherty, um, and it was built by contractor George Clayton. They finished it in time for the 1911 school year, and it had eight classrooms, seven teachers, and about 350 students. An auditorium was added onto the structure in 1929, and then a three-story addition in 1936 with WPA funds. They also added a playground and new landscaping. One of Home Park's most famous students was Georgia Governor Lester Maddox. Now, this remained a primarily white neighborhood and white school through the 1970s until 1973 when 52 black students were transferred. The following year, the school board voted to close the school, but it somehow stayed open for 10 extra years. With low enrollment in 1984, they voted to close it again, and then that finally happened in 1985. In 1987, it was converted into residential, and they called it the State Street Academy Apartments. And so what's funny to me is to read that even in 1987, most of the residents were students. And if you know Home Park or you've been to Home Park, that's like the entire neighborhood is really Georgia Tech students. So it's funny to see that it was that early. The George W. Adair School, which is today at 711 Catherine Street, was planned to service the newly-ish annexed West End and Adair Park neighborhoods. The land was donated by real estate developers Forrest and George Adair, with the stipulation that the school be named after their father, George W. The cornerstone was laid in May of 1912, and it was completed by the September school year. Also designed by Edward Doherty, the academic Gothic revival was built by Mackle Construction. It was added onto in 1928 when G. Lloyd Preacher designed, I think it might have been an auditorium, and it stayed a school until 1973 when APS then used it as some office space. 
It then actually became home to Oglethorpe Elementary in 1996. It was officially sold by Atlanta Public Schools around 2015, and this is actually a fairly new conversion. Um, Within the last few years, it has been totally renovated and converted to um, small kind of artist lofts. There's also some office space in there, and there is some kind of event space. So remember earlier when I said that outcry over the conditions of that 1911-1912 school drama pushed a new bond referendum? Well, the next three schools are result from that funding. The William H. Krogman School, which is today at 1093 West Avenue in the Pittsburgh neighborhood, was started in the fall of 1922 and completed in 1923. It was designed by architect A. Tenike Brown, shout out episode 228, in the Romanesque revival style, and it was a replacement of a two-story frame schoolhouse. The Krogman School was for black children. Sometimes you can see it referenced as the Krogman School for Negroes. Um, And it was named for the first African-American president of Clark University, William Krogman, who also donated the land. Carrie Badger Pittman, who was daughter of Roderick Badger, who I talked about way back in episode 89, was a teacher here from 1903 to 1910, and then she was actually principal from 1922 to 1940. The school is also known for being a crime scene of the lynching of Dennis Hubert. On the evening of June 15th in 1930, a mob of seven white men lynched an 18-year-old black Morehouse student named Dennis Hubert on the playground of the school. The mob had mistook him for someone who allegedly insulted a white woman in the park earlier that day. Now, because Hubert was the son of one of Atlanta's prominent black families, the men were eventually arrested and indicted, but then they were later acquitted and only two were ever convicted of lesser offenses. There's actually a historical marker, not really in front of the school, but if you go around the back um, that my friend Anne helped put up with Fulton County Remembrance. This school building was expanded in 1949, and it remained in Atlanta Public School until 1979. Now, plans were basically coming to demolish it. I think it's 1999 when they, you know, had been vacant, they're ready to take it down. And at the very last minute, the property was saved and purchased by the Atlanta Housing Authority to use as affordable residential housing. It was turned into lofts uh, around 2003-ish, and it is still that today. William H. Bass Junior High began as simply Northeast Junior High, planned to serve the children of Little Five Points and the surrounding area. The permit was taken in March of 1923, but not completed until the very end of that year and into 1924. And there was definitely some contractor drama from what I can tell, so the R.M. Walker Company got the contract to start the work and I think they did some of the work and there was some kind of dramatic moment where they canceled the contract um, and I don't know city council had to force them to finish it so I didn't have time to really go into that rabbit hole but I th- but I think this building almost didn't get finished. Today the address is 1080 Euclid Avenue. It's really the heart of Little Five Points. Uh, it was designed by Pringle and Smith with A. Tenike Brown as supervising architect. Now before they finish is when they decided to name it to honor William A. Bass. He was an Emory graduate, a former Confederate soldier, and later a teacher and principal at Boys High. The neighborhood basically called it the school on the hill. In 1947, it became a high school, and it stayed that until 1990. And it was converted to lofts in 1998. 
The building at 811 Hank Aaron Drive always caught my attention, and I had a feeling it was a school, but I didn't really know anything about it until I did this research. So in February of 1923, the James L. Key Public School was under construction, with 30 classrooms, an auditorium, a gymnasium, and kindergarten quarters. It was being built by J.S. McCauley, and it was designed by architect Harrelson Bleckley. Now, James Key was a city councilman at the time, chiefly responsible for getting that recent bond issue passed. He later served as mayor, but he was just like a big-time city official. By 1962, amid very contentious desegregation discussions, the school was transferred from the exclusive use of white children to the exclusive use of black children, amid outcry from white parents in Grant Park that had been using the school. So actually, when they did this switch, they had police and people kind of watching for disturbances, but there were none. During this switch, it was renamed the Capitol Avenue School. I'm not positive the exact year it stopped being a school, but by 1979, it was sold to a developer for elderly housing, which is what it is today. Last on my list is probably my favorite. Girls High was originally built as one of the first two high schools in the city in 1872. Their first structure um, had both Girls High and Boys High in the same building. Uh, in 1873, they moved into like a dilapidated mansion and they stayed there until 1924, 1925. So in 1912, the Board of Education president declares that the Girls High facility, this again, this mansion that was downtown, was a quote unquote monstrosity and quote unquote an embarrassment to the city of Atlanta. So in 1920, Atlanta's mayor at the time deems the building unfit. In that 1920s bond referendum, again, there's $400,000 to fix Atlanta school and build new schools. And so a portion of this money is going to go for a brand new girls high in Grand Park. The building was officially designed by Edwards and Sayward. It's a Byzantine revival style. But like so many of the schools we're talking about, A. Ike Brown was really the supervising architect at the time. The school opened in 1924, I think it was. It is today 745 Hansel Street, and it had science hall, lab rooms, sewing rooms, art and music departments, and a model apartment because it's a girl's school, so we got to show them how to be homemakers. Uh, But my favorite is that it had its own bank to encourage girls to save and also learn the banking business. The school would have its five minutes of fame when President Roosevelt visited it in the 1930s, and it would continue to be a girls-only school until 1947, when all Atlanta schools became co-educational. So at this point, it is renamed Roosevelt High School. It stayed open as a school until 1985, and it was converted to apartments in 1989. So there you have it, the story of Atlanta's repurposed schools, Residential Edition. Do you live in one of these schools? Let me know. Please let me come see it. I am I am dying. I've been in some of these schools. I've been into Bass for a tour once, but like the home park school, you know, you want to come invite me over? I will come visit. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, remember to leave a rating and or a review where you listen to the podcast. Um, there's also a Patreon link in the show notes where you can support the work. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.